What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say uh, go Bills. Hey, hey, hey. What is up, Bills Mafia? We have the official results of the 2023 NFL Draft here on the Buffalo Fanatics Network here as we are going to get into it tonight. We all have the results, but we are going to discuss what actually happened and took place during the draft because it was a crazy, crazy weekend, not just from an NFL standpoint, but from a BF standpoint as well. I mean, we went for probably about almost 20 hours of coverage this weekend, and I loved it. But those trade backs yesterday with Brandon Bean, oh boy, people were running out to dinner. Bean messed up our dinner plans, but you know what? We don't care because we love the Bills, right? So we stuck it out, and if you guys were on that last hour with me, I appreciate you all because I think we were all tired and hungry, but I enjoyed that we were all there together, and I hope that you guys are here tonight. So with that, let me fade this music out. And we'll just get right into it. How are we feeling about this draft for the Buffalo Bills? I've seen a lot of different grades coming in. I think there are a lot of people that like it, some people who are hesitant, and then I've seen a few that just really don't like it at all, and and I think I'm somewhere in the middle. So I'll get into that here pretty shortly here. I'm going to give a quick synopsis about what I think about Brandon Bean's draft here for the 2023 Buffalo Bills, and then speaking of Bean, I'm going to talk about his press conference today, which really wasn't a press conference, but it was called, let's see, what was it called? I used to call it a town hall. But it was a seat at the table with Brandon Bean, I think was like the official terminology. But either way, the Bills host this event for club season ticket holders. And I'm not a club season ticket holder. I'm not even a season ticket holder. I'm one of those guys who buys the cheapest ticket on Ticketmaster, either Saturday night or Sunday morning. And luckily, uh, we have a family friend who is in the season ticket holders and the, the Jim Kelly clubs. I think they're called the Kelly's club still. Maybe not. But either way. I was fortunate enough to be able to attend that today, and I was able to ask Bean a couple of questions. So we're going to get into that because I really wanted to ask him a question, but I didn't know if I was going to be able to get it in there. If you were watching the live stream yesterday, I said, I'm going to try to ask him about two certain players. And there were like three final questions, and I raised my hand. I was like, come on, back here, back here. And I just got it in. So, okay, I'm going to turn the comments on. I'm going to try to... You know, keep up with these comments as I'm going on throughout here. (laughs) Roy says, never bought a ticket in my life. That's the way to go. It's not about what you know, it's who you know, right? So, okay, here's where I'm at with the Bills draft class. I think it was very solid, but I also think that there uh, there are a lot of questions that remain to get answered here. Now, starting with the first pick of Dalton Kincaid. Very solid pick right there. I don't think a lot of us thought a tight end was going in the first round for the Bills, especially trading up for a tight end. Now, this is another pass-catching option, another weapon for Josh Allen, and that's what we wanted, right? But here is the other side of that. You just paid Dawson Knox $52 million, and you have an offensive coordinator who showed that he didn't really know how to use his weapons to his full potential last year. So that's where I'm at with this. Not to mention that Kincaid is more of that receiving tight end as opposed to a blocking tight end. So if you're going to have two tight ends out there, you're using them in the receiving game. So that's why this all narrows down to Ken Dorsey for me. Ken Dorsey 
scheme both of those two tight ends open. Now, moving on to the Osiris Torrance pick, I love the player. Torrance was probably the best player available, definitely the best interior offensive lineman at the time. But here is the point that I've been trying to make all weekend, if you've been following along with our draft coverage here. The Bills have a log jam at guard right now. So there were some people we were talking about on the show, could they draft Drew Sanders there? But ultimately, they went with the guard. And then they double-dipped again in the sixth round, and now... They came out of that draft with two guards, not to mention they signed Connor McGovern to a deal worth up to $23 million, three years, so there's a little bit of term there. They already had Ryan Bates. They re-signed Ike Butker. They signed David Edwards, who started on a Super Bowl-winning team in Los Angeles. They signed Kevin Jarvis, and I've heard from multiple people that they are kicking Tommy Doyle to the inside as a guard. So those are eight guards right there, and they didn't do anything to address right tackle to help Spencer Brown. So right now they just have David Questenberry and then Spencer Brown and then Deion Dawkins. And if Doyle doesn't fact switch inside, you only have three tackles. And then there are the other guys like Alec, Alec Anderson, Ryan Vandemark, Greg Mance, Mance is at backup center. But the point is they really didn't do anything to address right tackle. And then they also didn't address defensive tackle. And that was a position that I really thought that they were going to go after, especially when Bean said, if you want to poke around and look at a position that we could target, not necessarily target, but one that we would want to keep our eyes on, it would be defensive tackle because we don't have any under contract past this season. But again, they just didn't get a defensive tackle. And the one that really sticks out to me, and this is what I asked Bean, was Siaki Ika. Because the Bills passed on him at 91 and ultimately took Dorian Williams, another third-round linebacker, who seems to be a bit undersized. Yeah, he has upside and athleticism, but you just spent a third round pick on a linebacker last year. And to me, that linebacker position got more confusing. We didn't get more answers because we still don't know who's playing middle linebacker. So yeah, they drafted a linebacker, but they didn't get that stereotypical middle linebacker. And then they also didn't get an edge rusher as well. And there were guys towards the end of the draft Yesterday, as we were live in that last hour, where I was saying, hey, Jared Clark is there, big nose tackle, Thomas Incombe, Jose Ramirez, Moro Ojoma was slipping, and they ultimately just didn't go with these guys. So do I think that it was a solid draft? Yes. Did they improve? Yes. But again, I think there are still some questions that remain to get answered here. I'm trying to catch up through the comments here before I go on to my next point about what Bean had to say today. I see some people talk about Kincaid. That Oh, that was the other part that I forgot to mention. They gave up a fourth rounder just to move up two spots. Now, that's all fine and dandy because it was great to see Jerry Jones's reaction and Skip Bayless. But at the end of the day, you gave up a fourth round pick, which could have been valuable. And the Bills did get him back eventually, but they turned into fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks because they kept trading back and back. Okay, so in terms of what Brandon Bean had to say today, I think a lot of people are in the same position that I'm at where you're not mad at the draft, but you're also not happy where it's just like, oh my God, this was a home run, one of Brandon Bean's best drafts. I mean, there are a lot of people that are like that, but in terms of what I saw today, I think there are a lot of people who are saying, okay, this is what we have, but how can we still get better? How can we take that next step to beat Cincinnati and Kansas City and any other team? Because there are a lot of good teams in the AFC right now. 
So one of those questions, <laughs> the first one, let me just say this. Someone said, Brandon, he's in the back row. He goes, Brandon, I got three questions for you. Number one, how the hell did 13 seconds happen? Number two, why did you trade Wyatt Teller? And number three, and by this point, I didn't even hear number three because I was like, oh. so that was uh, interesting to say the least. And then there was a guy that asked a question about the log jam at guard. He said, Brandon, you had two starting guards at the end of last year. You signed two more in free agency, and now you drafted two. So what's the plan there? And I don't think he mentioned anything about right tackle, but I think that's what he was alluding to, saying, making the same point that I was, drawing those same lines and connections, saying, we have eight guards, but only three tackles. So what exactly is the plan? And Bean basically said, we're trying to build up the offensive line. We're trying to help Josh. And he referenced the Miami game and said, we were down to our eighth offensive lineman that game because we were just dropping like flies. So we want to build it up. But here's a point that we've been trying to make in terms of myself and that guy who had the question. They built up three-fifths of the offensive line. They only built up the interior. They didn't do anything to the tackle. So, yeah, they built up the line. But I apologize that that cut out. If you've been following along, I did get my internet upgraded. I got it hardwired down here. Everything should be good. But, you know, of course, it's uh, yeah. was the one question the guy was asking about the guards and then we had a lot of questions a lot of fans were asking about defensive tackle saying hey what exactly is the plan there because that was a position that you talked about addressing but ultimately you never did and you look into the future we don't have any under contract here and he he basically just kept saying i know that was a position i wanted to address but the board just never fell the way we wanted it to to the point where we could have gotten that defensive tackle. So that leads into my questions that I asked. And again, we were down to the final couple of questions here. And I, I, I didn't think that I was going to get it in because I called her over originally. Again, I was live tweeting the event. So, so she walked past me and I was like, oh man, I missed her. So then Maddie Glab is like, all right, we only have time for a couple more. So I was like, come on back here, back here. So I go, hey, Brandon, and the whole fuel house just turns around and looks at me, and I was like, oof, blacked out for a sec. And then I was like, okay, just keep it together, you know. I go, hey, Brandon, so did the fact that Detroit selected Jack Campbell as early as they did, did that impact your draft at all? If he was there at 27, would you have taken him? Would you have potentially traded back? Or was it just Dalton Kincaid all the way? And he said it was pretty much Dalton Kincaid all the way. Like he was there. So that was their guy. They were taking him. He didn't really say anything about Jack Campbell. Like, yeah, he was really high on our board, but ultimately we went with Kincaid. He didn't really touch on Campbell. And then I said, likewise, did you guys consider drafting Siaki Ika with your third round pick at 91? Or again, was that one of those things where you looked at the board and said, you know what, based on the value, we're going Dorian Williams no matter what. And he didn't say anything about Ika, so I don't know if he was even high on their board or not. But he just said, again, it comes down to the board, and that's why we went with Dorian. We're really excited about what he brings. So I tried. Uh, yeah, and I think that that's pretty much it. Bean is very buttoned up. As much as he is honest, he will give you those same answers. 
And that is something that we've been hearing a lot about throughout these last few weeks is that he always goes based on the board. And that's something that I've been saying right along that I think you have to do it within reason. You have to take the best player available based on your team needs, because let's say the best player available was a quarterback, but then the fourth best player available was a defensive tackle. I'm taking the defensive tackle. And Bean said, I've learned you should never reach. But again, I'm just throwing out these random numbers out there. But if that's the case, how much of a reach is it really when you're only dipping down a couple of spots? So again, that, that's where I'm at with the draft. Let me go through these comments on here because I want to bring Zach and Bryce on in a few minutes. Oh, I do need to say this. He also had multiple questions about DeAndre Hopkins. The best was a little kid. I think he's about 10 years old. He goes, Brandon, when are we getting D-Hop? <laughs> Everyone started laughing. And I think Bean even laughed too. And multiple people were asking about D-Hop where I was thinking, okay, the first time it's cute, it's funny. I don't think we're getting D-Hop. But then people kept saying, DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins. And Bean said, that the Bills have a little less than $5 million in cap space, and that does not include the draft picks that they still have to sign. So he said, if you can find me a wide receiver or anyone that wants to play for $2 million, let me know. So the way I'm reading it, the Bills are totally out on DeAndre Hopkins. I just don't see it happening anymore. I will say, though, he said that they are working on, quote, at least two veteran free agent additions as of right now and he expects to be he, he expects them to be here within the next couple of days so I don't know he didn't say any players or positions but I would think he has to look for a defensive tackle defensive end or a right tackle considering those are the three that really didn't get addressed at all during the draft so all right um while I go through these comments just want to thank you guys again we got 159 people in this we had anywhere from six to 8,000 just on our YouTube stream over these last few days. And then whenever we had on Facebook and Twitter. So again, want to thank all of you guys for being here. And it's been a lot. It's been a grind over these last few days, last few weeks, but I've loved every minute of it. And I appreciate that you're on the ride here with us. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Buffalo Fanatics. Smash that like button. Smash the subscribe button. Give me a follow at Kevin underscore Syracuse. Give Zach and Bryce a follow. and. Yeah, baby, let's keep this thing going. So, okay, with that, Zach and Bryce, while I continue to sift through these comments here, give me a thumbs up when you're ready. Okay, I think they are ready. So here is Zach Vaughn and Bryce on the bottom. Guys, this is our first time really talking about the draft since it happened. Zach, you were on yesterday. And again, if you guys want to go back and look at our draft coverage, it is all over our YouTube page and Twitter and Facebook. And Zach joined us yesterday. I was on all three days with Rico and Pierre. Zbot was on. We had Don, Don Troutman on. Uh, Kevin Gerard, the Dolphins fan, was on for a little bit. We had Jeff King calling in with some fire. So definitely go check that out. But now that you guys are here, what are your initial thoughts on the 2023 draft class of the Buffalo Bills? Zach, I'll let you go first. Well, I'm going to preface everything off by saying that we are prisoners of the moment right here because obviously we don't know what's going to happen in September. We don't know what's going to happen two years from now. So this is just instant reaction. 
and it can be taken with a grain of salt depending on how things develop through the course of these players' careers. But I personally am satisfied with this draft class. I am satisfied with what Brandon Bean did. He didn't get one of the top receivers in the class, but he got one of the best pass catchers. And that should still count for something. I mean, people are saying in the comments, don't think of Dalton Kincaid as a tight end, think of him as a receiver. And that's kind of an accurate statement because, yes, he's positionally a tight end. He can line up on the line, but he can also line up in the slot. And that was the main concern was trying to figure out what was going to happen in the slot. But if Kincaid is your slot guy, then I think we'll be pretty good moving forward there. And also just keep in mind too, contract-wise down the line, the tight end wage scale for franchise tag, for extensions, all that is a lot cheaper than wide receiver salaries. So you're almost getting your slot receiver on a tight end salary with Dalton Kincaid. As for Osiris Torrance, again, a player that we liked early in the process. Weren't really sure whether they needed him, considering that they, like you said, invested heavily in guard. But I think guard was their probably their most significant liability past couple of years in terms of the run game, in terms of everything else. Um, obviously Spencer Brown still needs to improve immensely, but I think that Brandon Bean is willing to give him this last, this next year to prove what once and for all, whether he can be the guy there. And the, the other positive that I think about the Osiris Torrance pick is yes, it may knock like Ryan Bates out of the starting lineup, but Ryan Bates is a five position guy on the offensive line. So you don't necessarily need to go out and get another offensive tackle when Ryan Bates could be your backup in a pinch if need be. You know, it's interesting because Bean talked about the versatility when that guy was asking him about all of the guards that are on this roster now. And when he got to Bates, I was like, oh, is he going to say that he can play all five positions? Because that's what we've been talking about lately. But he just said, yeah, Ryan can play both guard positions and he can play center. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't play tackle. But he didn't say Bates can swing out to play right tackle if he needs to. He can play left tackle. So I thought that was interesting. But, you know, going back to our conversations from yesterday, I think Ryan Bates is going to be a key name to keep our eyes on here because he could be the odd man out where Torrance takes a spot at right guard and Ryan Bates suddenly becomes the most valuable swing lineman in the league. Yeah, and I agree with that. There's nothing wrong with having – versatile offensive line depth especially some especially when considering the last couple of years we haven't had a true backup center and there's been some issues there like when Mitch Morse gets injured who's the next man up now we know if Ryan Bates ends up being a backup guard you know he'd be the next man up at center should Mitch Morse miss any time and then moving on to the other picks like Dorian Williams yeah that's probably the one I question a bit most, not because he's built like an outside linebacker, but just because was he their best player available at that point? Or obviously Bean thought so, otherwise he wouldn't have taken him there. But I think that means, though, that the fact they drafted him as opposed to someone who was like bigger or going after a Jack Campbell earlier means maybe McDermott is trying to shift his defensive philosophy 
where he just gets the two most athletic linebackers he can out on the field. And also, I think uh, Pierre, maybe, or the Buffalo Fanatics account somewhere recently, the last couple of days, post tweeted out about how a lot of the guys that are considered smaller linebackers are actually dominating the league right now. Levante David, Fred Werner, Darius Leonard, Devin White, etc. All those Raquan guys. Smith. The, yep, Raquan Smith, too. Like, the linebacker positions evolved to the point where you don't need to be 250 pounds, don't need to be a Luke Hukley-sized player or Ray Lewis in order to succeed in the league anymore. Zach, I'm going to stop you right there because I'm going to save this for the rest of our chat here moving forward as we dive into these players. But, Bryce, what were your initial thoughts about our draft? Because talking with you beforehand, I think you really liked it, right? Yeah, I did. I think they hit on... Uh, most of their positions of need. I did like the uh, Dalton Kincaid pick just because, you know, they've been trying to get their tight end two for years from two tight end sets. And, you know, they haven't been able to now that they can, or now that they did, they're able to run, you know, a successful two tight end set with Kincaid, you know, possibly playing some slot too. He's great as a pass catcher. He can, you know, uh, pass block a little bit that's you know streaky but give it some time and he can he can improve on that I do like the Osiris Torrance pick I don't know where he's gonna fit in right away I think like uh, Zach said he's gonna probably knock Ryan Bates out of a starting job but you know no big deal because he can play five other positions um Dorian I'm I'm not I don't really know what's going to happen there because, you know, he's mostly an outside linebacker. He's going to be Milano's backup his rookie year. But, you know, Bean does want him to play or to learn both inside and outside linebackers. So maybe down the road, if they don't see anything in uh, Dotson or Terrell Bernard, we'll probably start there. All right. Well, let's end it right there before we get into the specifics because – before we go in uh, player by player here, I want to ask, what are your grades for the Bills draft class? And while Zach and Bryce are answering chat, I want to hear from you. Drop your grades in here. And if you want to put a little sentence or two explaining why, we will get to those and you will be our fourth co-host here. But uh, Zach, what is your grade for Brandon Bean and the Buffalo Bills? Well, I think all things considered, especially that going into this draft, everyone wanted them to build up around Josh. I would give them an A because they did just that. You built up around Josh. I think it was, might've been mentioned on social media by some other content creators too, but you got a little bit of everything. The people that wanted to give him more weapons, you got Dalton Kincaid, one of the most sure-handed pass catchers in the draft class. And then you got Justin Shorter, who is a, big-bodied wide receiver sort of in the vein of Gabe Davis with more athleticism who has high potential. And then you also got, for the people that need, wanted the Bills to build in the trenches, you got Osiris Torrance, one of the best guards in the draft class, a guy who was commonly thought to be a late first-round pick. And then you got Nick Broker, who is also a quality starter at the collegiate level, 
and has guard tackle flexibility in the seventh round. I mean, he may be a long shot to make the team, but I still think he could give uh, Questenberry or Tommy Doyle a run for their money. And then obviously we talked about Dorian Johnson. We're going to talk about him more later. And then you got Alex Austin in the seventh round because the Bills have a good track record of developing late-round DBs. Bryce, what's your grade? I would have to give it a, a B plus. You know, like I said before, they hit on most of their needs, but not all of them. I would have liked to see them, you know, get a defensive tackle or two, maybe a safety. I think those were, you know, probably our two needs that we didn't hit at all in this draft. Maybe defensive end too, but I do think we have enough depth there where it doesn't make a huge difference. But like Zach said, we hit a lot of our needs to, you know, prioritize giving Josh a protection and the weapons that he needs to succeed. I love the shorter and Kincaid pick and Osiris can be probably one of the best guards in, in this league. I think I'm going to have to give it a solid B because I think this is one of those drafts where there are a lot of questions. Like I open up during the show, there are a lot of unknowns where you take someone like Dalton Kincaid and if he turns into that Travis Kelsey type of tight end, you're going to say, wow, this was an A-plus draft for Brandon Bean. But if Ken Dorsey fails to utilize him and we're sitting here next year saying, what the hell was that? Or next year when Doran Williams is just stuck on the bench and only playing special teams, again, you're going to say, well, what kind of draft pick was that for Brandon Bean? And that's going to drop down to a C. So I'm going to stick right in the middle and give it a solid B, knowing that there's a lot of potential here. But I just can't go too much higher, especially when you look at the fact that Again, they needed a middle linebacker. They took an undersized outside linebacker. Bean also said that in his press conference following the draft. He said, we view Williams as a starting, excuse me, not starting, as a backup outside linebacker and a special teamser. And then they also needed a defensive tackle. They did not get that. They could have used an edge rusher. They did not get that. And they could have used a right tackle. And they did not get that. So, Again, I'm going to stick right in the middle and say it's a solid B, but I need some questions that have to start getting answered here. The all, We all know the only way we're going to find out answers to the questions. <laughs> it's the time. Same the field. Time, see them on the field. That's why I said we're usually – right now we're just prisoners of the moment. Like this is just initial gut reaction. I can understand why some people want to give it a B plus or a B maybe aren't as high on it as they would have been had they gotten a wide receiver and a defensive tackle. But, and I understand too, like Brandon Bean, we're all going to be hearing about how there's no DTs under tackle under contract past this year right now. But that doesn't mean that he won't go out and extend Daquan Jones. That won't mean that he doesn't go out and get another veteran. Like he said, he was going to do some point this week, probably one or two more veterans. And ultimately, we just got to wait and see. That's what you have to do with the rookie draft classes. You just got to wait and see how they do on the field. You know, it's interesting because I, I look at this comment here from Edward. He says, it's still only a B to me because I don't like picking a third on someone who is a backup when you extended Milano. And I think that summarizes a lot of fans' opinions here because you have a pick like that where 
if you really like those first two picks, it, it's kind of a letdown when you get to Dorian Williams in the third round. Like if that was Siaka Ika, I think a lot of fans would have been like, oh my God, this is an all-time great draft. But then you're kind of sitting there like, another linebacker? Really? And similar to yesterday, when we were live streaming over the final few rounds, especially in round seven, I was very high on some defensive linemen that were falling. And then they take a cornerback. So I know recency bias, but if they finally got that big defensive tackle, like Jared Clark was sitting there, or I already mentioned Moro Jomo, if they took one of those guys, I think fans would have been like, oh yeah, like that, that was a solid draft. But one pick can kind of throw things off. So I guess that leads into my next question. The bigger picture that we need to look at here is, did the Bills get better enough to the point where they can beat Cincinnati and Kansas City? Did the needle move at all based on this draft class? I would say maybe a little bit it moved, but not to the point where I am, you know, 110% confident that I can go out and say tomorrow, we're going to beat Kansas City and Cincinnati. I do think we get enough where we can, you know, actually make it a ball game against Cincinnati in the playoffs if need be. But, you know, I don't think we've, we did enough where, you know, we would beat them by 10, 10 or 15 points. I think, you know, Bean still left a few needs on the table that can worry me a little bit. Zach, did the, did the needle move for you? I mean, it really just, again, it's just a matter about seeing how things develop during the season. I can't really speculate on that at all. Like, so I guess I would agree with Bryce where it's like, it's a trending in the right direction, but it's in to be determined for me. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard to say right now what's going to happen. But again, I think we just always have to think about taking that next step and being able to get past the divisional round and then the AFC championship game and then eventually to the Super Bowl. And I always have them in my rearview mirror. And it's just like, hmm, are these Buffalo Bills, as of right now, if they were to go line up tomorrow against the Bengals or the Chiefs, could they beat them? Chad, I want to hear from you because I'm catching up on these comments. Do you think that we could beat the Chiefs or the Bengals based on what we have on our roster as of right now, if they were to go line up tomorrow, are we taking the bills? Now I will say, let's not forget McDermott's calling the defense now. So that could be a big part of it too, where you don't even have to look at the draft and say, well, we're changing our defensive coordinator. So that gives me a boost of confidence in itself. I mean, I'll say this McDermott has been more notable as a defensive play caller, I think he's notorious for being aggressive. Like, he's been known to be more aggressive than Leslie Frazier was. So that should yeah. help. And I'm very excited and, about that. And, 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 Bryce, before I get to you, John brings up a point here, a good point. He said Cincinnati beat a bruised and worn-out Bills team, a lot of injuries. And while that is a fair thing to point out, at the same time, the Bills made a lot of mistakes no matter who was on the field. And the coaching staff made a lot of mistakes as well. So all things considered, that's what I'm trying to look at here. Any given Sunday. Yeah, look at the Jacksonville game last year. Well, technically two years ago now. Yeah, but like even if you look like at the Chiefs and when they played Houston last year and Houston took them to OT. Like, 
Every, any given Sunday. That's all I can really say because anything can happen on the field. Well, I see we have Alex Spencer in the background. He is one of our writers. And Alex, when you are ready, give me a thumbs up because before we take a deep dive into these players individually here, I want to get Alex's thoughts on the Bills draft, see where he's at. We'll, we'll continue to reel in some comments here, and then we'll get into it on the back half of the show. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is the one, Alex Spencer. Is that a go head? Is that a yeah, go head hat? Yes, sir. How, how are you guys doing? Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Yeah, good all to right, talk cool. to you. Uh, it's good to talk to you guys. It's been a minute. Um, well, so I've been, I listened in on the last, like, maybe 10 minutes of what y'all were talking about. And I, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I also think that when you're looking at this draft and this whole offseason, really, um, I kind of view it in a different way than I think you guys are where I'm, I don't think this was a year where you're going to see a lot of advancement. I, I think this was a year where they needed their, you know, they're going to sign their one year vets and they're probably going to add a few more here in the coming days. But I think really what this year was about is setting themselves up for, next year next off season um we, we have 10 picks now in the next draft um we're gonna have a lot of big time money moving uh josh's contract's gonna bump up a little more then you're gonna see that across the board players like knox and and so you they needed to be calculated in what they did i mean they signed hardy they signed mcgovern not very long-term deals not a whole lot of money was spent but i think those two are pretty big improvements in free agency. And then when you're looking at the draft, I think I think we get caught up too often in position, um, especially when you're talking about a skill position player. Because quite frankly, if Kincaid can go out and catch like 70 balls a year out of the slot, I don't care if he's listed as a tight end. I don't care if he's listed as a running back. If he's producing, he's producing. And I, I think that the thought that Drafting a tight end is a little redundant because we have Knox. That's a little short-sighted because I think you're actually going to help out Dawson Knox by giving another tight end on the field, and you're allowing Knox to play more to his strengths because his strength is not being a safety blanket for Josh. That's never really who he's been as a player. He does a lot of things well. He's one of he's an amazing blocker. He's a good pass catcher, but he's not that kind of pass catcher where he is that reliable, almost Cole Beasley-esque um, safety blanket that I think Kincaid provides. So he provides that security in the offense um, in an ideal world. Obviously it has to translate onto the field and he has to match well, but I, I like the thought of adding a player like Kincaid. Um, I, I think Torrance was a slam dunk pick. I mean, I, I don't know if there's much you can complain about. Obviously he could bust like anybody, but I mean the value, the need, everything just kind of fell right into the bill's lap there. Uh, Dorian Williams is a really interesting one because we just don't know what he's going to be yet. And I don't know if the bills necessarily know what he's going to be yet, but I think when you look at him, you have a guy with incredible athleticism and a much different player than Terrell Bernard. I know the picks are eerily similar, but he is a much different player. And I think he has a high likelihood of transitioning to the Mike linebacker spot, but kind of going back to what I said earlier on one hand it's not something that's going to help us this upcoming season because he is not ready for that Mike linebacker spot but going forward if we get to a point 
even if it's like three fourths of the way through the season where they think that they're comfortable putting him in that spot for a little bit or say like an injury happens and he play, he's forced to play and he does well, then you have that position on lock. It's one of those things that we don't know. And I don't love that out of a third round pick, but I still think that the player can be good. Um, then uh, the receiver, uh, his name escapes me right now. So it's been a long day. But uh, shorter, yeah, shorter. Thank you. Um, I, I like I like shorter. I think he provides some good insurance behind uh, depth behind Gabe Davis. Um, and you know, the, I don't have an issue with any of the draft picks. I think Williams is definitely the biggest question mark. But I, who knows, right? Like, I think he still has a chance to be a phenomenal player. It's a little different to me than uh, the Terrell Bernard pick last year. You know, Alex, you bring up a good point when you say that the Bills are setting themselves up for next year because we've been talking about the Bills window for a while now. And the general consensus seems to be, at least what I've been saying, is that the Bills window is always open with Josh Allen at the helm. But really, it's wide open for these two years while you have Josh in his prime and Diggs is still relatively young and Von Miller is here because he has that opt-out after the third year of his contract. And then Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier are here for at least another year, if not two. We still have Gabe Davis and Ed Oliver before they potentially hit free agency. So it's interesting that you bring that up because they have 10 picks now in next year's draft. I'm not sure what the cap space situation is, but you know the more contracts that hit in, the more you're going to have to move money around. But what do we think about this now? Are the Bills kind of examining that window and saying, you know what? We're going to have to be proactive here and start making some moves for the future based on everything that I just laid out. What I think is happening, and obviously I have no way of knowing, but what would be smart and it would be kind of consistent with the mindset that the front office seems to have is that we have been on not the top of the league for a while, but the upper we're in that upper echelon of the league for the last few years now. And if you look around our division, teams are – Play, the teams that play us the toughest are in our division, which is going to happen because they watch, they get beat by you twice a year. They're going to learn pretty quickly how to stop you. Uh, you. You have to adapt. And so when teams start adapting to you, you need to adapt to what the teams are doing to you. You have to be proactive. And so when the team zigs, you have to zag. And I think that's what we're seeing signs of. They're getting bigger the at the skill positions. They're getting smaller and faster on defense, which is interesting. And I think that it's signs of philosophical changes on both sides of the ball. And so we're, we're kind of viewing these moves through the lens of the offense that we saw last year and the defense we saw last year. And you alluded to it earlier, like McDermott's going to be calling the defense full time this year. So we're going to see a completely different defense. We're going to probably see a lot of different things uh, done on offense. And I had brought this up earlier about Ken Dorsey. Uh, and by earlier, I mean like months ago. Um, but I think what's interesting about Dorsey is that he had a year, not even a full year, as he'd been the old coordinator, and he inherited a really good offense in Brian Dables, but it seemed like he didn't he got away from a lot of what Brian Dable did. And that's gonna happen. They're different coaches. But I, I think what you're seeing now is a change from like the level of Brandon Bean to kind of fit what Dorsey wants to do. And, and there were some attempts at that, I think, early on with, like, O.J. Howard and stuff. But if you go back to his days in Carolina, um, 
And even back when he played quarterback in college, he loves 12 personnel. He loves running with two tight ends. And they did it a little bit with Gilliam this year, um, even though it's technically 21 personnel because he's listed as a fullback, but they had him doing tight end things. Um, but now with two and Bobby genuine, Hart. It, well, yeah. Uh, and, but now with genuinely having two tight ends, I think that opens up a lot to what uh, Dave, or Dorsey's going to be able to do on this offense. And I think that um, there are a lot of misconceptions about how he did last year. But the long and the short of it is it's another year for him to develop his system. And I, I think the personnel changes that they've made on offense are by design. And like, I, don't, I don't think this is a coincidence at all that we're seeing a lot of personnel changes across the board. Now, I don't want to get down this rabbit hole again because we talked about it yeah. for a while yesterday. But the, the one thing that I will say is I think this is a make or break year for Ken Dorsey because – he was subpar last year, to say the least. I know the numbers were there. They were top three offense or whatever, but he failed to utilize the weapons that they had. But now, like you said, they gave him the weapons that he wants to run his offense. So if we have another subpar year where coaching holds us back in the playoffs, I think they're showing him the door and say, you know what? We got you, your guys. We don't have time to wait because of the window that is open now. So I'm going to cap that Dorsey talk off right there. And Zach, going back to yeah. the point about the Bills stockpiling these picks and noticing that that window could potentially be closing, at least the first window. You know, maybe that first window is closing, but they still had that second window propped open and they're trying to be proactive here. So do you view it that way where they're looking at it and say, you know what, we have a bunch of guys getting older and a lot of one-year deals. Next offseason is going to be huge for us. I think that it is, does seem to be trending that way, especially like when you consider the Bills didn't take a defensive tackle this year. And everyone's talking about, well, there's nobody under contract for next year. And that might be more, might, might be a result of one, them not finding someone they valued where their picks were. And also two, just the idea that you could reset that room next year if things hit the fan, you know, in the wrong way. Things. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but going, going back to the whole talking about what they did this year, again, you brought in one of the top pass catchers. You brought in a developmental wide receiver who has good potential as good size, who could potentially slide right in if you have to let, Gabe Davis walk and you just have him there you still have Khalil Shakir for another couple of years and also I think somebody said in the comments earlier next year's class draft class is supposed to be stronger than this year's so that's another reason why it makes sense to stockpile picks for next year and I think that's why I think uh Bean said that he was playing comp pick bingo in free agency yeah. and obviously right now we're projected to get a third round pick for Tremaine Edmonds. So we'll have that extra day two pick that could potentially either be another key contributor next year or a trade up piece. And also just having those extra late day three picks is helpful because again, could use them as instruments to trade up or as Brandon Bean likes to do, he likes to use those later picks to nab some of their, flyer guys who could potentially be priority UDFAs and get them on a cheaper wage 
than some may command on the open market. Because I saw a tweet from Lance Zerline earlier today, and he pointed out that there are a couple players who got more guaranteed money as UDFAs than they would have gotten in the late late in the seventh round. Also, like I think got $230,000 guaranteed. I think on that note, too, it's interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily about the money. I mean, it's a business, so in a sense it is. But I think a team like Buffalo and really any team that is this close to being almost a complete roster, if you will, you're not going to attract a lot of UDFAs. You're just not because they're trying to get a clear path to actually play. So you're taking these late line fly- late late round flyers, one for maybe the money, but two because you're not going to get them other way anyway else. Like obviously we're going to sign some UDFAs, but we've, we've probably missed out on some people that we wanted. It's just the nature of the business. Yeah, I, I think in simplest terms, this is a case of Brandon Bean trying to win now and in the future. For everything that we just talked about, like you, you are obviously all in on this year, but you don't want to, you know, lose that in the rearview mirror and say, well, we can worry about next year, next year. I think Bean is saying, no, we need to start not necessarily worrying about next year, but we need to start looking at next year and how can we help? Because I think he was kind of bothered that they only had six picks this year. Because let's not forget they gave up that seventh rounder to get Dean Marlowe. And maybe bothered isn't the right word. But I think you would definitely want to have more than six draft picks. So he said, you know what? I'll double that and I'll go get 10 picks. You know, I'll keep trading back and stockpiling on six round picks so that we are setting ourselves up in position next year. And maybe they can use those to trade back up next year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what he said in his presser the other day. It was either today or yesterday that he's giving himself that buffer to trade up and still feel comfortable. Or he's like, if I give up another third, or if I give up a third and trade up, like we have another third coming from the Tremaine Edmonds thing. So um, I, th- I think at the very least, they're setting themselves up to be very flexible next year. This is an interesting comment here from Mike. He says, you're almost better having these guys in their contract year. They either ball out or you let them go for a comp pick. And that's true. But I think we need to dissect this a little bit because that's something we've talked about with Ed Oliver where you say, you know what, best case scenario right now, we can't really find a trade partner. We're still trying to win the Super Bowl this year. We'd probably get worse by trading Oliver, especially now that the draft is over. So you say, you know what, Ed, go have the best season of your life. And if you outprice yourself, then so be it. Congratulations. Thank you for your service. But you're going to have to get that money somewhere else. But I think it's interesting because there are certain positions that you can do it with. and, And I don't think you can do it with too many players like running back is a perfect position where those are just plug and play. Like Damian Harris is here on a one-year deal. Great signing. I love it. Power back, bring some speed with them. And you say, okay, we really like you here, but this is a one-year system where if you outprice yourself, we'll just get someone in someone else in here for a year. Or if you want to come back, give us a team friendly deal. Okay, cool. But I think you have to be careful because defensive tackle, that's a big position group, not to mention they have, eight defensive tackles who are all free agents and with the running back position, at least you still have cook and Hines under contract. Yeah. But I think at Oliver though, is the most on one hand, I think he's one of the better D tackles on the team, but I think he is. How do I say this? I'm being rude. I think, I think he is too, his success is too dependent on the people being around him. I, I think there was a noticeable drop off in his production when somebody like Daquan Jones was not on the field. 
he's undersized at the position. Um, he's he gets double teamed a decent amount, but I I, I like the comment because I about uh, I like Mike's comment because if he goes out there and he outprices himself out of Buffalo, he is almost like the perfect example of outpricing yourself going to get paid and receiving a comp pick because I think you can replace Ed Oliver and what he does relatively easily. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Bryce, where are you at with all this? I know it's been a few minutes since we've gotten back around you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of have to agree with Alex here. You're not, you know, you're not going to re-sign Ed Oliver. He's either going to you know, price himself out of Buffalo or have such a bad season where you don't want him anyways. Cause you know, you do want that comp pick and you know, you're, you are trying to save that cap space for, you know, other players that you might value more. So are you willing to trade him at the deadline if, you know, he's not playing up to par and, you know, get a draft pick? I mean, it, it would make sense if, you know, both, both sides want out. Yeah, but I think you you're going to be getting a comp pick if he signs for any anything significant, and I think that plus the value of not having to replace him at the back half of the season is almost worth just letting him walk at a certain point. Hey, Alex, how much time do you have here? Do you want to stick around and talk about the specific players and the draft picks for the Bills, or do you yeah, have to I get going? Do. No, I've I got nothing. So all right, sweet. So if you guys are ready, we might as well just dive into these picks here. I guess the the one thing that I'll say in general here before we get into it, how do you feel about the fact that they didn't take any tackles, whether it was offensive or defensive or defensive line? I, I mean, I think we've touched about it throughout the show, but Alex, I'll start with you since you came on after and tying this all in together with, with Mike's comment here. Were you one of those guys like me where it's like, man, Ojomo's <laughs> sitting there from Texas or – couple of these other guys like Incum or Jose Ramirez, just some some late round flyers, because here's another point. I think not saying that Bean listens to the fans, but that was a big talk saying I'm sick of drafting defensive ends and, and edge rushers just for them not to pan out. But the difference is we didn't want Bean to draft one early based on the team needs and the team history of their draft picks. So that's why I was saying, you could still use an edge rusher based on the fact that Shaq Lawson and AJ Epines will be free agents next year. Von Miller is not getting any younger, but I just don't want to see it on days one or two. If you want to take one on day three, fine. Like someone like Isaiah McGuire, who was sitting there around round four, I was like, man, that could be a perfect Shaq Lawson replacement. And that was actually his comp. So where are you at with how they handled their defensive line and offensive line? So to be completely honest, the one position that I'm really kind of annoyed that they didn't address was offensive tackle, specifically right tackle, because I I think Spencer Brown is not very good in the nicest way possible. But I will say, so for the defensive line, I don't mind them not taking a defensive lineman because if you look at the league as a whole right now, if you look at free agency, the best, some of the best available free agents are defensive tackles and defensive ends. And I would almost, I bet you a bottom dollar that the two veterans they're going to bring in are probably going to be a defensive tackle and a defensive end. So I think that if you're looking at the board and 
you have the choice to either reach for a defensive tackle that you just don't have graded very highly or taking the best player available that may help you down the road, knowing that, okay, if I don't take a defensive tackle or a defensive end here, it's not the end of the world because I can go sign a Yannick Nagakwe, for example. I don't really care. Like, is I, I think it's going to figure itself out in the next week or so where we'll have that position group, group solidified because it's obviously not right now. Um, and it's like Zach said earlier, your one or two contract extensions to Daquan Jones and maybe like Tim Settle away from being fine at D-tackle in 2024. Like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, that, that's a good segue because I want to talk about some guys who the Bills could potentially assign because if you missed it, I said at the beginning how Brandon Bean said today they are working on, quote, at least two veteran free agent additions at the moment, and he expects to have some deals done over the next few days. So I found this list. Um, his name is Hansel on Twitter, and mm-hmm. he tweeted out this list. So George Fant, offensive tackle, Cameron Irving, offensive tackle, Jawan James, offensive tackle, Yannick Ngakwe, defensive end, Frank Clark, defensive end, Daryl Johnson, defensive end. Is that the Daryl Johnson that used to be here? Yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Bam Johnson. Yeah, but wasn't his name Johnston? No. No. Oh, Oh, okay. Well, either way, Daryl Johnson, Zach's man, Melvin Ingram. Sign me up for some Melvin Ingram season. Matt Ioannidis. (laughs) What did you say? It's the manifestation part two. <laughs> Here we go again. Deja vu all over again. May 3rd is the day. <laughs> it's my mom's birthday. That'd be a nice good birthday, birthday gift. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, Matt Ioannidis, defensive lineman. Puna Ford. That is someone to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Zach Cunningham, a linebacker, and Corey Littleton, a linebacker. And he didn't mention him, but I believe Kyle Van Noy is also out there. So, I mean, there are some names. I think definitely some defensive linemen, like you said, Alex, if you want to go that route. So, do we see Bean signing any of these guys? I, like, who, I who, actually, are the two, who are the two that could potentially be in the framework right now? I don't want to say this specifically, but I want you to clip this right now. By the end of the week, Yannick Nagakwe will be a Buffalo Bill. I'll, I'll throw that out there. But uh, So, I think Nagakwe, um, that one I feel pretty sure about. I, I just have a feeling. Um, I would say maybe I think Puna Ford would be the ideal option, but it's potential, or I think there's some potential where that might get a little too pricey, um, because he's very good. Um, but I, if the, if they make the financials work, I think he would be the ideal fit, uh, him and Nagakwe. And I think you bring them both in, and you don't really have any. I don't have any concerns about the defensive line. Yeah, I'm kind of I, with I Alex here. I, would I think Melvin bring... Ingram is definitely at the top. Yeah. I I, so I like so. Melvin Ingram as a player, but I, I think it's pretty obvious that Josh Allen despises Melvin Ingram. They're both competitors. <laughs> no, I know. It's fire. You can't wreck Josh Allen's game if he's his teammate, right? Yeah, but if Brandon Bean goes to Josh Allen and he's like, hey, I'm just signing Melvin Ingram. I think there's a chance for Josh's like, no. Like, don't. <laughs> hey, Stevie Johnson vouched for him as a teammate. Yeah, I know. I mean, I would I would not hate that. I I would be I would be for Melvin Ingram. I just I just don't think that's gonna happen, but we'll see. 
I, I will make myself clear. I'm hoping for Melvin Ingram and Puna Ford, but I'm almost expecting Daryl Johnson and Linval Joseph or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do we think that it's going to be defensive linemen? Could we sign a right tackle? I I don't know if they will because I think they believe in Spencer Ford and they – I'm correct in saying That's they re-signed Quackenberry, right? Or, yeah, sorry. I was thinking about Cody Ford. <laughs> I was thinking about Cody Ford for some reason. No, you're I, good. Cause, well, because in my mind, I was like, I was like, damn, I was really confident about Cody Ford being the second-round draft pick the other year. And I was like, I really hope it just happened with Torrance. That's what I was thinking about in my own head. Um, but, uh, yeah, but we have Spencer Brown, and um, they did sign Questenberry again, right? Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah, I think, I think they're going to roll into the season with that. And we have Tommy Doyle coming back from injury. Like, I think they're going to be – I think they they think they're fine there. You know, funny you bring up right tackle because when I was looking at some stuff about Osiris Torrance, I found uh, Justin Mello's Senior Bowl interview with him on the Draft Network. And he had some. He had an interesting little tidbit. One of the questions, Mel, Justin Mello asked him, are there any players in particular you're looking forward to competing with and against at the Senior Bowl? And he mentioned – on the offensive side of the ball, I'm excited to play alongside Richard. I think it's Gurriage again. Played at Florida. Hopefully we'll get one more game together. Said he 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 and Ventrell Miller from the defensive side of the ball, both his te- gayer teammates, were some of the older guys that took him in when he first transferred to Florida and welcomed him with open arms. So I think it's very interesting that they were bills were able to bring in Osiris Torrance's teammate as a UDFA and maybe he provides a little intrigue in the OTAs and in training camp. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to throw one more name out there. Brandon shell. Remember Ryan Talbot tweeted about him as being a potential option. Did he ever get scooped up that right tackle from Miami? I think he's still available. Yeah, I have no idea. So at this point, just to round out this conversation, and at the hour mark, we'll probably turn it over to get into the draft picks. But if they were to sign any of those guys, like Juwan James, Cameron Fleming, Brandon Shell, if he's available, are those guys better than David Questenberry? Because Spencer Brown's a starter. So now we're basically looking for that backup, like the 1A and the 1B. Is Questenberry the best option? I don't. I don't think competition hurts. Like I, I would all be all for bringing in a uh, UDFA to compete there, but I think they're going to value the veteran, uh, veteran side of Questenberry because there is something to be said about having an you know, O lineman that's played in the league for a million years. I'd rather, if push comes to shove and he has to play, I feel more comfortable about throwing out somebody like a Questenberry in the middle of a game if Spencer Brown goes down as opposed to a UDFA. Second, Bryce, what, what do you think about this situation? Are we confident with Questenberry? Because, you know, let's say Spencer Brown absolutely balls out, but then he tears something, and then you're just riding with Questenberry the rest of the year. Are we confident that David Questenberry can carry this team throughout the playoffs? I don't think anybody can be confident with Questenberry blocking Josh Allen, blocking for Josh Allen, because you saw how, you know, how we played – Last year, in a few games, he started. It wasn't pretty. You know, Josh was running for his life. So if you can bring in a veteran, you know, somebody that's 
been in league for a few years and, you know, can block half decent, I think you do it. Maybe not Juwan James because, you know, he gets hurt every other year and, you know, he wouldn't make it past week five without going on IR. So if you can bring in someone like Brandon Shell or uh, I forget the other tackles you name, but George Fan even, I think you do it. And Zach, where, where are you at with all this? And let me just say, David Questenberry had a 59.3 PFF grade last year, and he allowed four sacks in 396 snaps. So the numbers weren't that great, but he showed spurts at times where he comes in in awkward situations and you say, okay, he did all right, but are we settling for all right? Can we get better? Can Questenberry get better? I mean, I think that Questenberry at this point is what he is. He's a veteran who has that guard tackle flexibility. He, yes, he wasn't the best, but I do remember, I think one of his worst games, he wasn't he like playing on like an injured hip or one leg or something. And yeah, I think he battled through still some stuff. Protect Josh yeah, Allen. He was, he was, he was an injured. He was really injured. And that's part of the reason why he looked so awful in that game. But it's because you can't really help it when you're playing like that. I mean, obviously, yeah. And the Bills still have some roster spots to fill. You can get up to 90 players. They're not close to it yet. I don't see any issue with bringing in another veteran on a one-year minimum deal, see what they do in training camp, and see who wins out the backup position. But, yeah, as for Spencer Brown, they're going to give him all the – leeway as the starter they can this year i don't see anyone contending for that job and that's why when people kept saying draft darnell Wright or draft dewan jones or any of these guys i was like i just don't see the bills spending another high pick on a right tackle because unless they're lying straight to our faces they've been very high on spencer brown all offseason and i just didn't see that in the card so i was like if anything maybe round three because Dewan Jones was actually there in round three. But I really didn't think that they were going to draft a tackle until at least Saturday. And they still haven't drafted a tackle. Now, I will say, we'll get into this, but Broker can play tackle, but it's mainly left tackle. So, again, didn't do much to address right tackle. So, with that, let's get into the actual picks themselves. And we want to break these players down for you guys a little bit here. So, starting off with... The first pick for the Buffalo Bills this year, they traded up to pick number 25, and they got Dalton Kincaid. What are our thoughts about this player? I think that it is, especially the way the board fell, um, I don't know if there was a pick out there that could have made me a lot happier. Uh, I think it answers a lot of questions that we had on our offense. I think um, – the biggest struggle that the offense had last year was the lack of a short to intermediate passing game. And they were really missing a full strength Cole Beasley. That's what they were missing. And I think Dalton Kincaid gives you a lot of, a lot of answers there. And I mean, we'll see how it translates to the field, but a lot of what he does well at the tight end position transfers well to the NFL, his ability to read the zone coverage. And I, I saw some stat yesterday that like 600 of his yards last year came against zone coverage. It was something ridiculous like that where like 90% of his production was versus zone. 
and it was like 70% of his catches were for first downs or touchdowns. Like he just converted consistently, was converting third down situations and getting in the end zone a decent amount. And that's what we were missing because we, that's where most of our drives really, I felt that they stalled out. Um, and so if you give Josh that comfortability of having a reliable target who doesn't drop anything and makes himself available in a similar light to Travis Kelsey. And I'm not saying that he is Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey's in a league of his own in terms of the tight end position. But if he can approach the game similarly and give you a similar relief that Kelsey gives to Mahomes, I would have given more in a trade-out for him personally. Yeah, I would agree. And and Zach and Bryce, before we get to you, I got to throw this out there. This is only the second first-round pick that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have made on offense. Five out of their last six first-round picks, not including Tremaine Edmonds, have been defensive players. The only one was Josh Allen in a year where you pretty much had to draft a quarterback. So the Bills did a little non-Billsy thing here, went off script, if you will, and they took not only an offensive player, but a tight end, something that they haven't done in years. Yeah, and it's just, it really doesn't matter what size or position an offensive weapon comes in. If you're giving Josh Allen an offensive weapon, you're going to do good things. Thanks. So there's been so much praise out on social media from all the draft experts and saying some are saying that the bills have found their Travis Kelsey. I mean, obviously I wouldn't go there quite yet. There's still a lot of games in a career to be played, but when everyone universally agrees that that was a good pick, that was a good pick. So Zach or Bryce, um, in terms of what Kincaid brings to the Bills, do you guys have any numbers or stats that the audience should be aware of? I have two interesting stats. I don't have his uh, you know, full season stats, though, but two things I wanted to point out. Four collegiate drops in his four-year uh, career, which I thought was pretty impressive, you know, considering all the Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs talk about dropping balls this year. Um, another stat I wanted to mention in one game, he had 16 catches for 234 yards and one touchdown. So, you know, he has proven to be that reliable option for quarterback. Zach, do you have any extra numbers or stats that you want to throw out there? Because I have something interesting that Bean said today, but, uh, before we get to that, do you have anything else that you wanted to add? Yeah, Bryce took one of the ones I would have mentioned, that he only had four drops in 55 career collegiate games. But another one is that, and this goes to everything about being said about him that he's a deep threat, he averaged 15.0 yards per reception in his college career. So he can be a deep threat at tight end. George Kittle? Yeah, exactly. A willing blocker who can also be a deep threat. Okay, so that's a perfect spot to cap that off because in terms of how the Bills are going to use him, that's very interesting because we've sat here on this show for weeks now saying how, at least I thought, 
And I think you guys agreed with me that the Bills could use a blocking tight end since Dawson Knox, who you just paid $52 million to, is your receiving tight end. But the Bills said, nah, we're going to go with another receiving tight end. And they asked Bean today at his conference, how do you plan on using these guys? And he said Knox won't be impacted as much as some people may think. It will be the personnel packages that will change. And then he added that Knox will line up closer to the line of scrimmage. So how do we feel about that? Are we going to see some more 12 personnel with these guys? Because if you're going to draft, not only draft a tight end in the first round, but trade up even higher in the first round to draft a tight end, he's not a blocking tight end. They are going to use him in the passing game. But at the same time, I know Bean just said that Knox is going to be closer to the line of scrimmage, but if you're paying him $52 million, you're not going to pay him $52 million just to block. So how do we see this working out here? Well, I mean, I think he he alluded it to it. He alluded to it in one of his press conferences after the draft too, where he said that they're going to run. He joked that they're going to run eleven and a half personnel because you know Kincaid's going to be on the field a lot with Knox. But the way Kincaid plays the game, he's essentially a receiver. He's a bigger receiver, um, and I think lining Knox up closer to the line of scrimmage is actually going to get more value. You're going to get more value out of him, I think, because that's where his game is at its best. I think that when he struggled last year, it was when they were trying to split him out wide and put him in situations where he's not, that's not what his game's really built around. So I I think you're going to put him in a more comfortable position. And I think that the threat of Kincaid is also going to help open up things for Knox. I think it's going to work together. Even if the numbers don't match it, like I think that numbers, maybe it impacts his numbers a little bit. But I think that I, I, I think when we're assessing the impact that players have on a game, that we look at numbers almost too much. Because if you are keeping people open, like how many times has Diggs carried a safety with him and left Davis like wide open for a touchdown or one on one for a touchdown? Those things don't show up on the stat sheet, but it's still a major impact on the offense. Um, and so I think you may see some of that with Knox and Kincaid where something that they're doing, maybe they, I don't know, they, they do something with Kincaid to get Knox open or they leave Knox in and he, um, he splits out. Like he does something that is not, it's not something that's going to show up on the stat sheet. Is what I'm trying to say. Sorry, um, but I, I think that you're going to get more value out of Knox with Kincaid if they're on the field together. Would you guys agree, second Bryce? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely. I definitely agree there because you know when Knox really broke out in was it 2020 or 2021. Um, you know, that was when Cole Beasley was, you know, Josh's security blanket and it allowed Knox to be, you know, inside towards the line more uh, running free against linebackers. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with this. And I, I see someone is saying this in the comments. Knox is okay, but overpaid. You know, I agree to a point because I think he's really good. And that's why they gave him the money. But looking at it now, now obviously they didn't know that they were going to be drafting Dalton Kincaid. But I just keep going back to the money here. That's a lot of money to be giving to Dawson Knox when he might not even be 
the feature tight end because we're already talking about Kincaid being the top tight end on the Bills. And Dawson Knox, based on average annual value, is the seventh highest paid tight end in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to pay him a little less than that. But I, I think they gave market value to a really good tight end. Like, I think he's better than people give him credit for. Um, I think he was asked to do some things this last year that don't really suit his game. I think that they tried to make him, especially early on, I think they tried to make him a security blanket for Josh. Because in theory, that sounds, that sounds good. But that's not his game. And it didn't work out. And so people were saying that's where it comes back to the um, the statement. Oh, uh, Dorsey doesn't know how to use his tight end. We hear that all the time, but I, I I don't think that's true at all. I think he was trying to get something going underneath, and none of the players on our roster were built for it. And it just happened to be Knox was the guy that he looked to, and I think that's the main reason they brought in Cole Beasley halfway through the season, is because they needed something there. And now you're not asking him to do that. And you have a player that is going to actually like have some, should have success in that role. I think, um, I, I, I think we might see a better statistical year from Knox, but I think people forget that at the end of the year, Knox was on a tear. I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I remember, didn't he finish the season with like five touchdowns in a row, like game, like in games. It was something like that. He was um, hot. Like, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but he was Allen's go-to target. Yeah. And I, I think that was when Beasley entered the lineup. I think that was the correlation. I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but I think they stopped asking him to do things that weren't suitable to his game. That's a good point. So, you know, speaking of the money and continuing on this conversation, let's talk about Osiris Torrance. And this guy is not getting paid, but someone who is – is Connor McGovern. So we alluded to this earlier. I, I talked about the, that. That's how I opened the show. How do we feel about the Bills situation on the interior offensive line now after the Gatto Cyrus Torns? And you know what? I might as well just lump this one in there too. Nick Broker, seventh round, pick 230, guard from Ole Miss. So the Bills double dipped and took two guards. Not one, but two. I... I love our interior offensive line right now. Um, and, you know, I, I you had mentioned McGovern in the same light as Torrance, and I think that's interesting. But in terms of looking at this team, setting up the team for success next year, I think there's a real possibility this could be Mitch Morse's last year in Buffalo. I think that's something that we have to prepare ourselves for. And keeping Torrance on the bench maybe for his rookie year assuming there's no injuries, of course. Um, he's going to eventually slot in at guard. I don't envision him being a center at all, but Ryan Bates is the first primary backup to center, and I think he will take over the full-time position at center when Morse leaves. So I, I have no issue with our interior offensive line right now. I think it's very deep. I mean, even David Edwards is a pretty decent lineman. He's nothing special, but he's – as far as depth goes, he's good depth. Um, and so, you know, I, I think having a line that it consists of – or an interior that consists of Bates, Morse, and um, either Torrance or McGovern, whoever, whoever wins out, that's a perfectly fine situation because you have – you have a really deep room. And 
I think back to the Miami game, the first Miami game. One of the reasons we lost that game is we had nobody that was capable of playing offensive line. Like the second half of that game, I don't even remember who we were playing out there, but it was miserable. But now, I mean, we're like five deep at the interior alone. And not only are we deep for this year, we are deep where we have three potential starters, assuming Torrance plays up to his draft status, three potential starters already secured for 2024 and the year beyond. So I, I think it's a very good situation. Yeah, you know, I think it's a good situation, but at the same time, when you look at the tackle situation, it's a bit perplexing. And there was a comment here. I want to pull it up here. Joey says, that's ridiculous. He's NFL ready right now. You take him early in the draft to set a year. This is blank. This is why we suck. So looking at it that way, that's what I was asking throughout our draft coverage. And Zach and Bryce, I'm going to turn to you guys for this. So let's say the Bills go into the year and they use that same logic that I'm putting forth here and saying, well, we gave Connor McGovern the money. We already have Ryan Bates under contract. Those guys played together at Penn State. We want the continuity between those two guys, along with Ryan Bates, who played right guard last year. Torrance, you're going to have to start the year on the bench and we're going to slow play you because that's another thing that the Bills have done where they tend to slow play their rookies. How will that sit with the fan base if you spent a second round pick on arguably a player who probably had a first round grade. Everyone thinks, Oh my God, we finally got this new guard. And then the bills say, now nah, that's right. You can sit on the bench. And then you look at someone like Drew Sanders, who you could have drafted and could have put in your starting lineup immediately. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad thing that they drafted Osiris, you know, compared to Drew Sanders, like you mentioned. I think, you know, it, it would depend on how the camp battle goes with Ryan Bates. I'm super comfortable with, you know, Bates being that backup to all five positions in Osiris and McGovern, you know, playing uh, both guard positions. I think they can, you know, handle it pretty well and, hopefully get this run game going. Zach, what, what do you think? I think the reason why they ended up taking Torrance was because he's a bit beefier than what we currently have on the interior offensive line. And it seemed like last year, like we, we had a decent run game, but it just seems like for the last few years, we missed that real thumper, that physical presence on the interior. And, like, that's what Osiris Torrance brings. Plus, he is really good in the pass protection as well. I believe he only gave up, I think I heard that over a 1,000 pass protection snaps, he only gave up, like, one quarterback hit and no sacks. So he can be a pass protector. He can start right away. And that's why I'm saying, and, yeah, so to the point of fan, the fan base, if he doesn't start right away, there might be a few questions. But also at the same time, as long as the offensive line plays well, I don't think people are going to care that much. But I think Osiris Torrance will end up being a day-one starter on this offensive line. And Ryan Bates will end up being the backup at both guards and center. And again, the point that I'm trying to make is I like the pick and the player itself, but 
I think there's an issue when you look at how the Bills address the position as a whole. So maybe you could say maybe free agency was a a better um, complaint to make. Like, why did we go so hard on on picking up all these guards if you knew that a guy like Osiris Torrance was going to be on your radar? So you don't know for sure that he's going to be there. But if you have scouted these guys and you say, we really like them, and you know that there's at least a chance to draft them, why are we signing four guards in free agency? So that's that's the point I'm trying to make. And I want to go to a comment here from Raven187. I don't know if this is a Ravens fan or if your name is Raven, but he says, I'm a Karen and I will always have a complaint. Let me, let me just say, I'm going to be real with you guys because I'm not going to sit up here and say, oh my God, I love the Buffalo Bills. We're winning the Super Bowl this year. Brandon Bean is the best. Yay, go Bills. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. If you're going to have a show like this, you got to look at both sides. And that's what I'm trying to do. And sometimes people don't want to hear it, apparently. But you got to be able to look at both sides and say, this could be really good or it could be really bad. And that's why we're here to talk it out. Maybe maybe he's a really big that's a Raven fan. I don't, I don't know. But um, <laughs> I think, I honestly, like, I, I have no issue with how they handle the interior line position because for the entire time that Josh Allen has been a Buffalo Bill, he has not had a good front five in front of him, no matter how we how we slice it. So if Torrance starts right away, which I don't – I'm not doubting that he's ca- incapable of starting right away. I think he could go out and start day one. I would not complain if he does. But I also, on the same token, I appreciate – that they said, look, we could potentially be taking a guard here, but we're going to go and improve our room tremendously because we need to protect Josh Allen. At the end of the day, he need they he needs some stability. And so if that comes in free agency alone, if you can secure in free agency four guards or whatever it was, you have to do it. You have to. Because there's no guarantee that you leave draft day with – somebody like Torrance or Broker. Like, it very easily, maybe at pick 58 in another universe, and pick 58, Torrance is picking. And you're left with nothing. But, hey, at least we have the four guys we signed in free agency. So if you Again. take that approach of – I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, so if you approach free agency with the mindset of this is what we might do in the draft, this is – in a so when we're signing free agents – in a few months from now, maybe we'll get this position. So we should we shouldn't improve the room. I, I don't agree with that logic, especially at a position that has constantly burned us, constantly. So I can appreciate an oversaturation of resources into one room that has been constantly terrible. And I totally get that and agree with you. But at the same time, that's only 60% of the offensive line. They only addressed three out of the five positions. So if you're really trying to protect Josh, then go get some tackles and make it a full 100%. Well, I think that – so I agree with you. But Deion Dawkins is a top 10 left tackle in the league. I'll say that. I feel comfortable saying that. Yeah, um, you're not finding his Spencer, replacement. Yeah. Spencer Brown is terrible. <laughs> I'm not, not going to shoot his credit. He's terrible. But I, I think you're compounding how bad Spencer Brown is by having an equally bad interior offensive line. Because if you can have, um, if you can have, say, four of the five positions on your offensive line 
at solid or better, you can do certain things with protection to take some of the pressure off of Spencer Brown or, you know, it's not as big of a deal. Like Spencer Brown had games last year where he was, you didn't notice how bad he was because the rest of the line is playing fine. And so that's kind of what you're banking on. I, I They're also going to bank on him improving, but I, I don't think it's that big of a deal when if you can have four of the positions on the offensive line being solid or better, because realistically there, there's not a lot of teams in the league that have five solid players across the offensive line. It's just the way the league works right now. For whatever reason, there's teams usually have at least one player on their offensive line that stinks. Yeah. They're not all going to be winners. It's yeah. hard to get. It's hard to get that. It's hard to find quality depth too. So that's why, like to Alex's point, free agency, you're not, and I saw somebody say this in the comments too, you don't do your free agency moves based on what you're looking at in the draft. It's the other way around. You make your free agency moves and then go into the draft looking, okay, what can we do here? There's a reason that they're in the certain places they are on the calendar. And like you think about the guard position last year, you had Ryan Bates, Roger Saffold, Greg Mance, Greg Van Roten. What exactly? What else? Yeah. I mean, Ike Bacher was on the PUP list for half the year. You can't predict injuries. And considering that you have the option to go up to 90 men on the roster all the way through training camp into the preseason, you got to take advantage of that. Get as many quality depth players as you can at the guard position. Have them battle it out and the best of those guys will make the team. The rest you can either cut or trade away for even more picks to stockpile. Like there's really nothing. It's not a big deal at this point to have too many decent guards on paper. It's, it's a problem. I love to have. Exactly. Now, before we move on to the third round pick, are you guys hockey fans? Because Boston's historic season (laughs) just ended to the Florida Panthers. Let's go. Should have been the Sabres. Should have been the Sabres. Yeah, can you imagine that could have been the Sabres? Well, I think we would have gotten Carolina, right? No, no, we would have played Boston. Oh, well, I was thinking of the Islanders, but yeah. Man, can you imagine if that was the Sabres right now? I don't think we'd be here doing this show. (laughs) No, no chance. No chance. I'm not much of a hockey guy, but anything that's to the detriment of Boston, I'm in favor of. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a Knicks fan, too, so... Go Knicks. I know they lost today, but um, yeah, I don't like the Celtics either. Yeah, go Knicks. Okay. With the 91st overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft, the Buffalo Bills selected not Siaki Ika, Dorian Williams. Guys, how do we feel about this? Because I think this was probably the most polarizing pick from the standpoint of people are like, wait, who? What? That linebacker? I I think there's a lot of question marks about the pick. And I don't love having a pick, especially in the third round, where the first question I had was, what are they going to do with him? Like, how are they going to use him? Because I had a similar question with Dalton Kincaid, but then the answer is like, instant. It's like, oh, he's going to line up in the slot. You're going to run a lot more full personnel. You're going to get production out of him. Dorian Williams, I don't know. Because he's behind Matt Milano. And 
he's behind a handful of guys who I don't know if they're going to be legitimate middle linebackers in the NFL. It's just it's all short of it. So you have a GM that's not confident in the fact that he's going to compete for the Mike spot. But I think that the way he profiles out, I think he could. I think he very well could at some point in his career be a Mike linebacker. Is that going to be this year? I don't know. I think if he competes for the spot and even if he's like a primary Mike backup and he's learning the defense this year, whatever. Like I, I'm not going to be upset about the pick because then you can at least rationalize that you have your future starting Mike linebacker on the team and you got him in the third round, like whatever. But if he is solely an outside linebacker backup and a special teams player, then I think it's a terrible pick. But sitting here today on April 30th, I, I think it's the worst pick of the draft because there is, it doesn't seem like there's a clear plan with it. Um, but it also can go either way. Like it could end up working out. He could be an amazing middle linebacker. And then in retrospect, you look at the draft and be like, wow, we had a really good weapon. We got a really good offensive lineman and we got our starting middle linebacker in the first three rounds. That's crazy. Or it could be, we had a really good first two line, rounds and we drafted a guy who's playing special teams for us. Like it, it's, it's one of those, like, it's a really polarizing pick for a reason because it doesn't seem like there was an actual plan for it. Yeah, to Alex's point there, not even, you know, Brandon Beaton has a plan for, you know, where Dorian is going to play yet because, you know, he wants him to learn both middle and outside linebacker. He's probably going to be Milano's backup and a special teams player to start the year. So, honestly, year one, you'll pretty much only draft a special teams player that will sub in from time to time on defense it's right now it's looking like it's not that different from Terrell Bernard last year also I just before Zach goes I just want to add in a caveat I don't mind the player at all I think he's a very talented player I just don't know what the thought is on how he's going to be utilized um and and again, this goes back to kind of what I was saying earlier, where now we have Sean McDermott running the defense. There's going to be some philosophical changes. Maybe he gets more use out of a player like Dorian Williams, and that goes into the draft pick. And we're looking at it from the lens of a Leslie Frazier-led defense for the last 100 years to where it's now fully Sean McDermott's defense, and he's going to do things his way. Maybe you get more value out of having a guy like Dorian Williams. We just don't know at this point. Yeah, Zach, what are your thoughts before I get in here? Like like you guys are saying, obviously, immediately because he's a rookie, he may need to ease his way in. And you know how much they like their uh, special teams versatility from their players, from their deaf players. But, and here's something interesting. In 2022, Dorian Williams had 131 tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, two forced fumbles, nine passes defended, and two interceptions. So he has some of that production. And I also in 2020, he had 16 and a half tackles for loss and four and a half sacks. So he's done some things. And here's what Dane Brugler had to say from the Athletic had to say about him. He said, 
for his strengths. Rangy athlete with plus speed and length for the position. Physical in the run game of lateral quickness, escape, and pursue. Accelerates in a flash to string out runs without the carrier reaching the corner. Doesn't have a ton of power behind tackles, but uses knee bend and steady form to spring into his strikes. And his missed tackle rate decreased each season. So he could potentially end up being a starter here. Obviously, right away, they're going to play the committee. They're going to try to figure out who's best in that second linebacker position besides Matt Milano. And I think, like Yustin said in his article from last week, Tyrell Dodson's probably in pole position to be the starting middle linebacker this year. But we may not very well – we could very well – see a scenario where maybe they do take it this year linebacker middle linebacker by committee or something and maybe you see bernard or klein or dorian williams rotate in every now and then i mean the immediate again we're prisoners of the moment where we don't know what's going to happen until it happens so we don't know until they go onto the field what's going to happen with him how he'll factor into things and worst case He doesn't do anything year one, but then year two and beyond, he finally contends for the job. I mean, we just got to to wait and see with him. Yeah, I I would agree with what you guys had to say. And a point that that Alex made here is the fact that I'm blanking on it right now. That's a fact of it right there. (laughs) What was it? I was going to say something off of the point that you made, and I am completely blanking it. I made a few points. So I don't know. I know you did. Uh, you made a few good points, but I, I think what I was trying to say was, oh no, this is what it was. You said you like the player, you just don't like the pick, and that's how I feel because it seems like he has a lot of upside, a lot of athleticism. Zach laid out some of those stats there, and Brandon Bean talked today about how he really outshined and outperformed. Maybe not outperformed, but he just really played well in that that Cotton Bowl this past season. So I like the player, but again, I said this before and I'll say it again. I am more confused with this linebacker position now than I was before the draft. And we thought, okay, get a guy like Jack Campbell, plug and play. Boom. There you go. But now you look at it and here's where I'm at now. It seems like Terrell Dodson is going to be the starter. And then you have AJ Klein as a backup and then probably Balen Spector as a third stringer. You play a nickel defense. There is no way in heck that these guys are starting over Matt Milano or even platooning with them. Matt Milano is set in stone. So then it's like, wait, why do we have two third round linebackers just sitting there behind Matt Milano? So now I'm wondering, could we see more of a four, three defense now where maybe in some situations, you know, last year, it seemed like Leslie Frazier said, no, we are running nickel no matter what with McDermott running the defense now and calling the plays. Could we see more of a 4-3 where they take Taron Johnson off for running situations and they put a guy like Terrell Bernard or Dorian Williams out there or even Balen Spector? I don't I don't know if we see a transition to a 4-3 necessarily, but I think we could see a lot of different packages that we just did not have the uh, the horses to run last year. I think even going back to free agency, Taylor Rapp is not he did not sign here to back up Hyde employer. He came here, I think, to be utilized in certain packages where you can run a little more dime, maybe. Um, maybe 
they utilize because one of the things about Dorian Williams, correct me if I'm wrong, but he has ability to to rush the passer, correct? He had a I good, so. yeah, good yeah. amount of sacks. Yeah. He was utilized in Five that way. Five sacks last year. Yeah. So potentially, maybe you find yourself in a situation where you're putting Dorian Williams on the field at at the expense of a – I'm trying to think who would come off the field for him. But you throw him out on the field and you have him rush the passer. You, you can do certain things like that and maybe – Maybe it happens like not often, but having him on the roster on game day, you you have that opportunity now to when you face a team like Kansas City and Cincinnati because this is really what it comes down to is how are we going to combat these the upper teams of the league, the AFC specifically. You need to be able to throw some things at them that they just are not expecting. And I think Dorian Williams gives you the ability to do some of that now, is that worth a third-round pick? To me, no. It becomes worth it if he becomes a full-time starter, which I don't think is out of the cards. I think it's out of the cards for this year, but next year I think that you see – I see an opportunity for him there. But what I really think is – the thing that gets me, like, like I said again, he's a really good football player. But – it's just I don't know if it's worth the value of the pick we spent on him. Now, granted, it's a late third round pick, so it's not like you know you're taking him in the, one of the first picks in the third round. But still, like a third round pick's a third round pick. It's and again, when you have a guy like Ika sitting right there, and you take another linebacker, that doesn't sit well with the fan base. No. Here's something yeah. I will say: we want to talk about what Brandon Bean said. But how about? Earlier in the offseason, I don't know if it was right before the draft, but he said at some point they view, I believe they said they view a third-round guy not necessarily as someone who will make an impact right away, but maybe a couple of years down the line. So mm-hmm. that's why maybe it makes sense that they took Dorian Williams with their third-round pick. It's a guy who we may not know his role right away, but could potentially develop into the next starting linebacker. And here's another point, too. With Von Miller potentially missing the first few weeks or even months of the season, talking about these different packages that they could throw out there with McDermott's defense now, maybe they want a guy like Williams because of that athletic upside and his ability to get after the quarterback, where last year, again, you play more of that nickel, not too much blitzing going on, very stagnant and almost kind of stale at times with Leslie Frazier. Could McDermott mix it up and try to flash Dorian Williams in that way, or even Terrell Bernard or Balen Specter, who, speaking of flashing, he did a lot of that in the preseason last year. Yeah, they could very well do that. And if I remember correctly, like to go to the point about blitzing, yeah, the reason that they didn't blitz a lot last year, part of it was they, besides like Matt Milano, they didn't have another real linebacker that could really, that they consistently trusted to be on the field. Like Tremaine Edmonds was the other starting linebacker. He wasn't as good in the blitz as you would have expected from a guy his size. So maybe that's where Dorian Williams or Terrell Bernard fits in. Or like you said, Bale Inspector maybe. And Taylor Rapp think, is another wild card there. Yeah, I think I think we're also entering it's similar to the discussion about Kincaid and a little in in some way where I think we're just evolving, like the sport is evolving to more positionless football. So 
you know, you're taking a linebacker, but you really you're, you're putting, I don't know if you're putting him on the field this year, but you're drafting a, an amazing athlete. I mean, phenomenal athlete. Um, I, I think you find a spot for him at the main 11 on defense, but it, it's, it's pretty interesting. It, it's an interesting pick. I'm not going to say it's a terrible pick. I think it's, it's definitely my least favorite in the whole grand scheme of the draft, but I, I do think there is a lot of upside there, but it's also easily the pick that I look at and can picture in five years from now, looking back and being like, that was just, that was terrible. But who knows? Bryce, do you have any, uh, Bryce, do you have any final remarks on this before we move on to the wide receiver? Yeah, I think to your point, they're going with more positionless football. And I like the idea of, uh, what they're going to do with Taylor Rep, along with, you know, Dorian Williams, Terrell Bernard, and Matt Milano, because, you know, he can, uh, Rep can be in the box a little bit, rushing the passer. He can play linebacker, defensive line. He played a little bit in his career, corners, safety, everything. I'm excited to see how they run it with those, uh, those four players. Hold up, Sal. Where are you going, my man? Says it's getting boring. How can we spice it up for you? Because we, we got to talk about the last few picks here. We're already an hour and 40 minutes in. If you haven't already, smash that like button, subscribe, give us all a follow here. Kevin Syracuse, Zach Vaughn, Alex Spencer, and Bryce Martino. Sal, I hope Sal. you don't leave, man. Come on. Sal, do you want us to take our shirts off? <laughs> I don't Start think really I'll be dancing that. for you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get, so, let's, get, okay. uh, let's get thigh doc on here. Yeah, how about really some thigh dances? <laughs> that can spice it up. <laughs> so, someday we'll get doc on here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with their fifth round pick, after a trade with Washington, the Bills were selecting at 150, and they selected wide receiver Justin Shorter out of Florida. Now, if you remember last year, they also had that trade, and they ended up with pick 148 in which they selected Khalil Shakir. So back-to-back years where they got fifth round wide receivers and guys another year where Brandon Bean did not select a wide receiver before day three. The last time that the Bills took a wide receiver before day three was Zay Jones in the second round back in 2017 and that was when Doug Whaley was drafting. Okay. Yeah. So... I'm just well, they did, That's a fact. They got and, a pass catcher day one this year. So and, and Brandon Brandon Bean did also trade a first round pick for Stefan Diggs. I think that should qualify as using an early round pick, uh, a premium pick on a pass catcher. But yeah. specifically specifically for uh yell and scream and argue like you could show us. Okay. <laughs> Um, I think I think uh, yesterday we got heated with the Ken Dorsey debate, so Kevin, I think that's what Roy's Kevin, looking for that, here. Maybe, that was wild. Maybe Kevin, I need I think, to drop a few big fellas. Golly, golly, Kevin! I think you're an idiot. I think I think you're a little stupid head, Kevin. No, I want to remove your access. Right? <laughs> He'll mute no. you. So, all right, go, going back to Justin Shorter here. What what do we like about this guy? Because I think this is a perfect wide receiver, and I'll say it right now. I think this is my favorite draft pick for the Bills this year. It was actually – so Brandon Bean did a really good thing here. He drafted somebody who's built just like me. Like, it's crazy. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but um, we look identical. Uh, No, for shorter, 6'4", 
was it six three six four and he runs a four five um with 40 yard dashes and everything his get off speed i guess is not the greatest but i mean he provides a genuine deep threat that we just don't have on this roster outside of gabe davis now at his ceiling i think he at least in how he can impact this roster or this team going forward, I think he could be somebody that you, if you don't want to pay Gabe Davis, you kind of shovel him into that role and you say, hey, make it happen. And maybe he's good enough for that. Again, it's one of those things. It's not going to – we're not going to know until he actually straps the pads on. And I also – I've seen it on Twitter a few times that it's a good point that he's probably going to have an amazing training camp. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be maybe a little bit like the Isaiah McKenzie thing last year. So I think we should just prepare ourselves that maybe if he has a really good training camp, it doesn't mean he's going to be the next like Randy Moss or something. Um, but I still think he can be a really good player. Um, he His limitations coming into the NFL remind me a lot of DK Metcalf. Um, now, am I saying he's DK Metcalf? No. But I think that the way that they utilize him could be in a similar vein to how the Seahawks deploy DK Metcalf. And I think that combined with having Josh Allen could be a very, very good thing. Now, before I let Zach and Bryce get in here, the reason why I like this so much is between the player and the pick, because we've been talking about both throughout the night. So let me start with the player. He brings something that the Bills wide receivers didn't really have, where he's that big body receiver, go up, make the tough contested catch. And I would have to double check, but I believe I saw a stat today where he was the third best wide receiver against single coverage last year. Mm-hmm. So that is an option. And that's what being talked about today and Terrence Gray and Brian Gaines, where they said he brings something that we really didn't have in the receiving room. So that's why I like the player. But the reason I like the, the pick so much is I think you're alluding to this. The fact that they took him in the fifth round isn't an indictment on Gabe, where if you took someone Let's just say Jordan Addison fell to them in the first round. You say, oh, this is a first-round pick. He better play. He better get that that big contract and the snaps and everything. Gabe, we're going to show you to the door. We don't have money for you. But now you say, okay, this is just a fifth-round pick. So, Gabe, you could still be here next year. We still might re-sign you. But it is an open competition where he is simply here for depth and competition and to push you along the way and to also help our offense without interfering too much. So, Zach and Bryce, what do, what do you think about this guy? Yeah, I what I find interesting about him, too, is his size and build is a lot like Dalton Kincaid. He's 6'4". I've seen 230, 235 pounds. You know, he he plays – he's fast for his size, runs a 4'5", 540. Um, you know, his drops aren't an issue, like – you know, people in the comments have been mentioning had six drops on 177 targets, which is a 5.5 uh, drop rate. So, you know, he has great hands. He's basically a uh, DK Metcalf light, like we were mentioning in the BF chat uh, a couple nights ago. Zach, what do you like about this guy? I like that he's another tall option. Like he can be a red zone threat, potentially a long term replacement for Gabe Davis possibly but also let's think about it this way too he has experience playing with that type of dual threat 
quarterback who has a strong arm and likes to run around a lot, Anthony Richardson. He has that experience. Osiris Torrance, same thing. Even the offensive tackle they signed as a UDFA, they all have experience playing that with that type of quarterback. So I think that Shorter is an intriguing prospect, and he was definitely worth a flyer on. And, and Shorter here, went up against Kyer Elam in practice. So iron sharpens iron. We got that Florida <laughs> connection. That's why I really like this pick. And then, like you said, you couple that with the Torrance pick. That's a big three right there. And here I'm going to, again, refer to Dane Brugler here. He said that Shorter has the arm length that makes some offensive tackles jealous. Like having that ability to reach up in the air in those contested catch situations and snag it in a place where you – allowing Josh Allen to throw the ball to places where only his receiver can get it. When you have someone with that type of catch radius – those arms, that wingspan, he has 82 and 3 8 inch wingspan. That is very amazing. That's just tantalizing to think about. Now, I'm seeing if uh, Roy asks if he had any injury concerns in college. I haven't come across any of that. I will say Brandon Bean mentioned today at his conference that Deontay Hardy had a lot of soft tissue injuries, and that was a guy that the Bills signed during free agency. So hopefully he doesn't pull a hammy or anything. But another guy that I want to bring up here, because I think he is an older version of Justin Shorter, is Trent Sherfield. Because I think now you're seeing how the Bills are trying to revamp their wide receiver room, getting some bigger body guys in there, some possession receivers where Dorsey isn't tempted to take the top off every single time. And you say, you know what? Go get me five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, just go get the first down, move the chains. And these guys can be used for blocking as well. Yep. I, I mean, I think I like what they've done to the receiver room um, this offseason. Because uh, it's like you said, I think what what we did last year was I think they were trying to utilize the offensive weapons that they had to the best that they could. And I think Gabe Davis not really having a great year and not taking a step I mean, he did statistically, but he was given, like, a thousand more targets. That, that really hindered things. I, I genuinely believe it did. Um, Shakir did not really have an impact his first year, which, I mean, you don't really draft him expecting to have that full impact. But they started a Cole Beasley who had been sitting on the couch for two months over him, which is more of an indictment than anything. And, I, and I, So I think going out and you're adding a bunch of big body threats, which – Again, like like I alluded to earlier, it's more of a philosophical change where you're going from the Isaiah McKenzie mold. I mean, not I mean, he's, you you sign Hardy, who's even smaller than McKenzie, but you you then counter that by bringing in a bunch of big bodies. It's it's definitely intriguing, and, and I think that all of the changes they made to the skill position groups indicate that there is going to be a change in how they approach this offense which is a good thing. I'm excited to see what what that is. And did you guys see that stat? I'm trying to find it on Twitter now, but I I can't find it. But Justin Shorter was coming out of high school. He was ranked higher than guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and Jamar Chase. And there was someone else in there, but I can't remember who the last one was. But this dude had some serious potential back in the day, and he still does. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, the question going back about the injuries, I did remember reading something where he was dinged up. I don't remember what the injury was, though. Um, yeah, he had a lot of smaller injuries in college. Nothing that affected him all season, though. Yeah, but it, I'm sure it was. I'm sure he played through some compounding injuries, uh, which you know it's not going to keep you out of games, but it's going to hurt your production a little bit. Um, but I'd, I'm interested to see what this guy does with a NFL like weight room and nutritionist and everything. And not that he needs a nutritionist, but but you know. <laughs> like that that day-to-day of maintaining um health is going to be big for a guy like shorter you know i'll be, I'll be interested to see what he does i found that tweet it was from jonah bronstein of news four he said bill's fifth round draft pick justin shorter was a number one rated wide receiver in the 2018 recruiting class ahead of amon ross st brown jalen waddle and jamar chase so that fires me up yeah, there was clearly something about him. Like, he initially went to Penn State, but then transferred to Florida because he wasn't utilized a lot at Penn State. But, and I'll be clear, like, I'm not saying that Shorter is going to be wide receiver two in 2023 or even 2024. We know we know what's going on here. Diggs, Diggs is wide receiver one. Davis is wide receiver two on the depth chart. Khalil Shakir and Hardy will be probably mixing in for the slot. But we're talking about getting a depth boundary guy. And that's yeah. what Shorter is going to provide. It may take him some time. Like, he he's not going to be week one going out on the boundary, rotating in with Gabe Davis. I'm just and saying other- that he provides that. He provides that height, weight, speed combination that's so appealing in a long-term option. And the other reason why I like this so much is you kind of alluded to it, Zach. We got depth on the boundary now where we reached a point last year where the only guy that we had behind Diggs and Davis was John Brown, who we had to go get out of retirement because it was Isaiah Hodgins, but we put him on the practice squad. The Giants claimed him. It was Jake Kumro for a bit, but he was battling injuries all year. And then it's like, oh, wait, wait a sec. We don't have a boundary guy. Hey, John Brown, are you still available? Do you want to come play for us? You still got some juice left in the tank? Sweet. Here's your jersey. Same thing with Cole Beasley. Now, he was a slot guy, but that just shows how thin they were getting at wide receiver. And again, Beasley's different because he's in the slot and they needed someone as that safety blanket just to help move the chains. But tying this all in together, a big bodied receiver on the bound and help be another for job. Yeah, and I, I I think he's gonna slide in perfectly to that Jake Kumaro role. Um because I mean they already they spoke about it already where he said he was excited to play special teams and he's I mean <laughs> listen, if you got somebody like Justin Shorter screaming down at you uh, as you're returning the kick that's gonna be a little scary. I think you'll have a good a good role on special teams. Um he'll get some snaps I mean, think he's really he's one like hamstring injury to Gabe Davis away from seeing the field at this point. Um, for better or for worse, we'll, we'll find out. Um, but he's he's going to get some opportunity, I would assume. Okay. Finally, here two more guys to talk about. I already referenced Broker, but the one thing that I want to add in here about him is: do we see him more as a guard? 
or potentially playing left tackle based on the depth that we've already talked about at the tackle position? I see him as a backup to Ryan Bates because Ryan Bates does the same thing. Or at least this, it, it seems like they do very similar things. And I do believe there's going to be a point in time where Ryan Bates is the full-time center. And if your full-time center is also your primary backup across the entire offensive line, you're screwed. I think Nick Broker is going to just slide in and do what Ryan Bates does right now. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning he was second team all SEC last year when he switched over to uh, guard. He he played three years at tackle, then last year switched over to guard and was all SEC. So I think that's where he's probably going to fit in best. Yeah. Zach, what do you what do you think about this? I think that Nick Broker in addition to just having the offensive tackle guard versatility, he did mention too, he was interviewed by Justin Mello as well at the senior bowl. And he was asked what position you're most comfortable playing at the next level and have teams given your feedback. Broker said, I'm very confident playing any of the five positions across the offensive line. Definitely feel like guards probably my most natural position though. Experienced a lot of success there last year. But most NFL teams see him playing an interior position as well. Some of those options include center position. He said he snapped the ball at his pro day, highlighted his ability to play center, also snapped at the senior bowl, and he oftentimes snapped the ball throughout practice too. Even though he never played it during a game, he feels comfortable playing center. So he could potentially, like we were saying, he could be our RB2 as in Ryan Bates, too. He can be that flexible backup interior offensive lineman who could also potentially be a backup offensive tackle. Whether he makes the roster or not ultimately depends on how he does in the preseason. But I would not be surprised if he ends up being a practice squad guy or he makes it as one of the last men on the roster because of his positional versatility. I think he's going to value – I think his versatility is going to push him onto the bottom half of the roster. Um, I think he might even make it over a guy like David Edwards. Really? I, yeah. I think, I think that might be a hot take. Maybe not, but I think you commit to a guy like Nick Broker, especially because you – it's very important. Uh, what Ryan Bates does is very important. And he's a, he's a very fine starter. Like, I don't have an issue with him starting – but the one caveat to that is if if we have, like, a catastrophe of, like, one of the tackle positions where we get, like, two or three guys that go down, the, the contingency plan has been that Ryan Bates would finish the game. Brandon Bean said that in a press conference I was listening to yesterday where he said, we've always believed Ryan Bates would be the guy that can help us escape a game if something bad happens at tackle. And if you have a guy like Nick Broker – I think that is more valuable depth. Even if he is not as good of a caliber guard, I think just the versatility alone is enough to warrant him having a position on the roster over maybe a guy like David Edwards. Well, going off of Bryce's point about where he exactly lined up, this is from the Bills PR department. Broker appeared in 48 career contests as a Rebel, not missing one game in his four years in Oxford started 23 games at left tackle and 13 at left guard. So I'm wondering if this is going to be like the new Tommy Doyle 
where if Doyle is in fact kicking inside, if maybe they put Broker as a backup left tackle now. Potentially. I mean, they could. I think they're just going to keep Doyle outside, to be honest. Yeah, that's where he fits best, outside. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, like I think they were just kicking the tires on Doyle at guard last year too, like in pre in training camp. But mm-hmm. there's not not even a guarantee Doyle makes a roster anymore. Yeah. I think he will. He probably yeah. Will. We're like not that. that we're not that deep at tackle this year. It's not like he's a yeah. guard and we have tons of guards. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't move him to a position where he could become expendable. Yeah. yeah, keep them at a position of need like tackle is. Well, this will segue into our final draft pick here because what did you guys think about taking Broker here at this position as opposed to an aforementioned defensive lineman? And with that, we might as well just pull him up right now where the Bills spent their last pick at 252 on cornerback Alex Austin. Now, this is a guy who seems to be pretty physical. He has good ball instincts, came from Oregon State just like Jordan Poyer and Isaiah Hodgins. So it seems like the Bills thought he was the best player available, but two times in a row they passed up on getting a potential edge rusher, defensive tackle, nose tackle. How do we feel about this? Honestly, this may be one of the better picks of the draft because (laughs) for whatever reason, Brandon Bean and his scouting department have the ability to go into the seventh round and year after year find starters. Now, am I saying Alex Austin is going to start on this team? Hell no. But if you if you compare who he is as a player to Christian Benford, it is like they drafted Christian Benford again. Like, that's exactly what Alex Austin is. And it's, it's almost scary. And to be honest, you can just never have enough corners. Now, do I think he's going to make the roster? I don't know. He, like... Like they just said, he might end up being cut. But I also think he could, you know, find, he sneak his way onto the onto the roster over a guy like I don't know, one of maybe over one of our depth safeties, Cam honestly. Lewis. Yeah, over our, that's that's what I was thinking of exactly. Thank God, you, I hope so. Like I, <laughs> I think that there is a real scenario where Alex Austin makes it over Cam Lewis, and I know he's not a safety, but you have Christian Benford who can drop back and play safety. Like, I, that is an option. It's more of that positionless football where we have DBs that I don't want to line Alex Austin up in man coverage against anybody. But if you ask him to play at a soft zone, he's going to do pretty well. And that's what we've predominantly done. Now, again, how is, that, how is our defense going to look under Sean McDermott? I don't know. But I think that the player alone and the fit, especially for this value, I mean, he's damn near the last pick in the draft. Maybe it's hard to argue with that. And you made the point about him being like Benford. That could be the pairing of the future in terms of backups where Trey and Elam are cornerback one, cornerback two. Then we're looking at a future tandem potentially of Benford and now Alex Austin. Dane's only back on a one-year deal. That makes Dane a little bit more expendable. It does, yeah. Yeah. At this point, we already know who the starters are at corner. The Bills have a pretty solid track record of developing late round corners into contributors. So why not? I mean, again, seventh round guys, you can't have high expectations for them because it's a seventh round pick, 
they could very well end up on the practice squad or cut. And it's whatever, but what? I, I think I trust McDermott with defensive backs. Now, here's a point that I brought up yesterday when I was finishing our draft coverage on Buffalo Fanatics here. The Kansas City Chiefs, a team that we, I don't want to say model ourselves after, but we look to the Chiefs a lot for comparisons, right? They had two seventh-round picks become valuable starters in their Super Bowl run last year, and Jalen Watts in the corner and Isaiah Pacheco, the running back. So when I was live yesterday, I was saying, we have to take this seriously here. You might just say, ah, this guy's going to be a bum. He's going to be on the practice squad. But look what the Chiefs did. And that all comes down to coaching and development, where they really built that thing up. And Isaiah Pacheco and Jalen Watson just essentially came out of nowhere and burst onto the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can definitely find value in these late-round picks. And so a guy like Alex Austin, you don't expect him to start, but you also – Injuries are a real thing. I mean, we got decimated with injuries last year. So there is a serious possibility that he has to play at some point. And obviously he has not even strapped on a helmet yet. But, I mean, his athletic profile and everything that he did well in college, I think will translate well enough to the NFL where it's not going to be much of a difference. Now, I think he's in a similar vein to Christian Munford. And... Honestly, I mean, like, if the Bills won the Super Bowl last year, they'd be look, look back and be like, wow, the Bills got a good contributor in the seventh round out of Christian Benford. It's all about narrative. It's all this. I think you've – Dave Bean hasn't drafted amazingly in his tenure here, but he has gotten a lot of value out of guys in late-round picks. That we can say. So, okay, guys, to, to round out the show – do we have an updated list of undrafted free agents who have signed with the Bills? That's a good question. <laughs> you want to take this, Bryce? Bryce? <laughs> is, he, is he cut out on your end, too? I thought that was me. I guess he is. Um, All right. So we got Noah Henderson, the offensive tackle out of East Carolina. Jalen Wayne, uh, wide receiver out of South Alabama. DJ Dale, defensive lineman out of Alabama. Jordan Mims, a running back out of Fresno State. Tyrell Shavers, wide receiver out of SDSU. Richard Gorridge, the offensive lineman from Florida. Uh, Deshaun White, linebacker out of Oklahoma. Joshua Donovan, tackle out of Arizona. And Isaiah Bowser, the running back out of UCF. I apologize if I butchered a few of those names, but I did my best. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, do we have any opinions on these guys? I'll be honest, I know nothing about them, but I mean, like, I, I think I think they're gonna win us. They're gonna win us the Super Bowl. I think that's my <laughs> that's my opinion. You know, like I said a little earlier, uh, the offensive tackle from Florida, Richard Richard Gurriage, he's one of those guys that, like, you know. Uh, like I said earlier, Osiris Torrance said he was one of the guys that helped took him under the, his wing when he transferred to Florida from Louisiana Lafayette. So they have a good relationship there. And he started 42 career games at Florida as well. And again, has, and again, has some experience playing with that type of quarterback that Josh Allen is with Anthony Richardson. Um Here's an interesting tidbit about Jalen Wayne. He is the cousin of Reggie Wayne, the legendary Colt. He better be as good as him, too. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully some of that rubbed off on 
some of that legendary <laughs> status came down the family tree. Uh, DJ Dale, I've heard a lot of good things about him. He helped anchor that Alabama de- defensive line with Will Anderson. And he could very well be the... <laughs> That's exactly... I, I read it off of a Dalton Buffalo tweet, too. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I like that James Patterson pickup. Local guy from UB, and that was Jared's brother. Yeah, yeah, he's he's at a rookie minicamp invite, so we'll see whether or not he's added to the ninety-man roster. Like, it would be a good story, local guy. And Isaiah Bowers is another one of those rookie camp minicamp invites. Mm-hmm. See, they also invited uh, Logan Bonner, the quarterback from Utah State. All about it, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to get a camp arm, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And like Roy Collins said, Levi Wallace was a UDFA. He became a starter for us. You never know. Yeah. I mean, I the one position that I have zero issues, like as long as they are in charge of this team, if the Bills <laughs> take an offensive back, I'm not really going to question it because I just, I trust them to get the most out of a player in the secondary. And like even guess- Poyer and Hyde, Player and Hyde were not phenomenal players before they came to Buffalo. Let's call it what it is. They were good, but they were not all pro-level safeties. And they came here, and all of a sudden they got – they are now widely considered the best safety tandem in the NFL. And it's not even close. Yeah, so I, was... I Yeah. Like, I, I was a special teams um, player going from team to team, like he said. Yeah. Yeah, and Micah Hyde was a nickel corner. Or safety hybrid, like, yeah. but they found their roles, and it's because of the coaching, because of McDermott, yeah. because of Butler, the John Butler, the DBs coach, and to circle back a little bit to the linebacker discussion we were having. Remember, Bobby Babbage, and what he did with Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds. Everyone's praising him as the linebackers coach, and he was the safeties coach before taking yeah. over for his father who retired. So I think I would trust Bobby Babich and John Butler in particular to mold these developmental guys that we're talking about. Dorian Williams is the potentially the Alex Austins and them. And also remember, we got a new wide receiver coach who is experienced as well. So I think they were they were kind of gearing up potentially for a bit of a shift in philosophy, a shift in the team building with these coaching moves. So I think I think we just gotta wait and see what develops. I agree. One last thing I want to mention before we wrap up tonight. I tweeted this. I was live tweeting Bean's conference today. And he said that Josh Allen goes up into his office to discuss potential draft picks with him. And he added that Josh loved Dalton Kincaid. And he texted him Kincaid. And he said that Josh blew up his phone. And then likewise, he said that Kincaid acted like a little eight-year-old kid when he met Josh Allen. He was like, this is Josh Allen. And then I guess he said with uh, Osiris Torrance, he was with his family and friends at the time. And he got a call from a he had a missed call from an unknown number and he didn't answer it, but then he was like, Oh, that was Josh Allen. I got to call him back. (laughs) (laughs) 
See, I want to be protected from that boy for years. <laughs> Josh Allen approves. That's all that matters. Well, it's going back to the Melvin Ingram thing. I like. I genuinely believe that Brandon Bean goes for Allen for input on any move. That's why I just don't think Melvin Ingram's going to happen. But well, I remember <laughs> I was at the Sabers game last year, the the Brick Janaret send off game, and we're sitting there. That was a game that Casey Middlesat won in an overtime. But I'm looking at my phone constantly because I'm like, all right, what are we doing? What are we doing? And we kept trading back again, and we finally got James Cook. But in the process of all that trading, I'm watching Josh Allen and Dawson Knox, and I think Tommy Sweeney was there too because they had a box seat down there. And you could see all of a sudden Josh gets on the phone, and then they all just book it. And I'm like, oh, the bills are on the clock right now. So I think they were playing phone tag, and Bean was probably saying, hey, just to let you know, we're trading back. We're trying to get James Cook. And then it was all just perfect. They got Cook. He was my guy last year. And then the Sabres won in overtime. So I think we'll round out that way because Alex has the goat head hat on tonight. (laughs) Alex, where are you at right now? I am in Florida. That's right. So, you know, maybe we should have done this in the beginning, but, you know, we'll just do it in reverse roles here. Why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself and, like, what you're up to now because – you know, you've been a part of BF, but this is the first time that you've been on the Writers Club. And first of all, thank you for joining us. That was a great conversation that we had. And second of all, yeah, yeah just uh, what, what are you up to right now? Um, I'm currently in Pensacola, Florida. I'm doing technical school for the United States Air Force. Um, so I'll be back in Buffalo in August, like the first week or two of August, I'll be back. Um, and yeah, I've been writing for couple gosh when did i start writing zach it was like may of last year i think i think it was well it might have been earlier than that i think it was february maybe oh yeah it was february yeah it was like right after the super bowl i think um but yeah i, I don't write a whole lot um i did write about Tremaine Edmonds, which kind of blew up a little bit that was my one hit wonder there uh <laughs> but <laughs> But no, so yeah, I'm I'm down here. I'll be back home in a few months, though. So, are you available to come on the Writers Club again in the future? Um, if it's on a weekend, yes. Yeah, we're every Sunday night at eight thirty. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that works out perfectly. Actually, I'll be a little late. Like I was the same time I got on today is when I'll be free because I have the same thing every Sunday. But. That's all right. We try to rotate it anyways because I'm going to try working on getting – I might as well say this for everyone else in here. Still have over 100 people in here, so shout out to you guys. Um, I'm going to try getting some more guests to come on so we can talk about the Bills draft class and get some different viewpoints and perspectives on things coming up because we're going to hit that dry season right around Memorial Day because the schedule is going to be coming out, so that will be some good talking points. But then June and July is really boring, and then you finally get to training camp, but – we're going to hit that dry spell, so we're going to try to spice things up a bit. Hopefully Sal doesn't leave then. Yeah. Um, when you when you guys get Trish, Trish on the show, let me know. I need to come mock her British accent a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that'll do it for tonight. I just want to give a huge shout-out to everyone who's been watching tonight. Still over 100 people in here. One last chance to smash that like button and, and the subscribe button. You can follow all of us. Alex, what's your at? Just for people uh, to get to follow. Uh, I think it's like Ace Spencer or something. I don't even know what it is. To be honest with you. I'm doing it like that. Let me follow it. Um, <laughs> Ace, Ace Spencer 290. Uh, Perfect. 
So yeah, give us all a follow if you want to hear more from us, if you want to see our content. And guys, what, what do we have in the pipes working here this week in terms of articles? Because all of a sudden, like I said, it just kind of came to a crashing halt. So Bryce, are you working on anything? Yeah, so my main article is going to be talking about, you know, the second free agency wave after uh, the draft, because Brandon being, like we mentioned, 50 gazillion times, talked about him wanting to add a couple more veteran players in free agency. So I'm going to put out an article listing a bunch of free agents that the Bills can uh, sign. All right, and... I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing yet. I'll probably just take a look at the draft class and and talk about how it all unfolded. So I think we'll leave it at that. We'll keep you guys on edge until my article comes out this week. And Zach, any final words? Yeah, first off, uh, I'm also working on a little piece where I'm going to be grading the – I'm going to be looking at the Bills draft class, grading it, but not necessarily the players, but just overall – arching like themes that were heading into the draft class, like how they approached different aspects of it. I'm going to do it that way. Just something a little different from the usual instant ABC grade for players. All right. Well, that will wrap things up for tonight. Again, thank you guys for coming on with me and thank you everyone who was part of the show tonight, chatting it up here in the comment section. And for everyone who followed along with Buffalo fanatics throughout the draft process, that was, let me do a quick, count in my head i'm not that good at math but i want to say over 20 hours of draft coverage that we put in this weekend so a huge pat on the back to all of us we can do that right now because we made it through and i think i've been on air for more hours than i've slept over the last few days but you know what i don't care because i don't need sleep you can sleep when you're dead is the saying right (laughs) not to make it dark but uh you know you got to keep the adrenaline pumping because draft season is definitely a hot topic and yeah, I love being a part of it, and just, uh, yeah, I think I already said what I needed to. But, yeah, so for Kevin Syracuse right here, Zach Vaughn, Bryce Martino, and Alex Spencer, this is a BF Writers Club. We will be back next week, same time, same place, and we're going to come out with some more hot topics. Again, maybe I'll have another guest or two to come on to talk about their perspective on the draft, but either way, keep it locked and loaded right here on Buffalo Fanatics. Have a good evening and go Bills. Go Bills. Be shirtless next time, too. <laughs> <laughs> go Bills. <laughs>